Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. I want to begin tonight by reading a few verses from Isaiah chapter 53. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, He hath put him to grief. He hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. That one line in this, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him or crush him. It pleased the Lord to crush him. Whatever could that mean? To some people who have studied the scriptures, preached and taught about this passage, and this is obviously a caricature, but to some, they imagine that the father was assessing the dilemma we're in, and he came up with a way to rectify the problem of sin among his precious humans, So his idea was to send the son down here to suffer and die a horrible death and all that that means, which we've been discussing the past few days. And the really appalling part of all this is that this solution that he came up with and its execution was pleasing to the father. He took pleasure in it. Now in this narrative, as it's laid out, We're not really too sure how the son felt about all this. Uh, But he, being an obedient son, agreed to go along. And I suppose the spirit, you know, had his back, so to speak. Some have called Christ's death with this kind of thinking and backdrop. Some have referred to this as child abuse. Something the father did to the son. And even among those who would never use that language to call this child abuse, which is blasphemy, 
there is still something a little disturbing and unclear about the Lord taking pleasure in crushing his son. Well, that's not at all what happened. And by straightening a few little things out tonight, I think we can get to the real meaning of this phrase. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. When we do, this phrase will go from being dark and disturbing to the most unimaginable expression of divine love, truly inconceivable for us. No one would ever invent a deity like our God who would do what he did. And it is stunningly expressed in this shocking phrase of Isaiah, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. So how do we address this phrase? Well, to begin with, the cross was not the Father's idea. The cross was not the Father's idea. First of all, it was not an idea that came to God in response to a problem. The cross was not reactionary. I'm going to say something that I can't explain, and I certainly can't explain it tonight. I don't think I can explain it at all. But it's important to say, if we're going to deal with this passage, the mystery of the cross exists in the eternal mind of God before anything was created. I wish we had more time to delve into it, but we have to throw that out there if we're going to deal with this passage. We come to this conclusion not from some you know, abstract metaphysical analysis. We come to it through our direct encounter with the God-man, Jesus Christ, and the testimony of the Scriptures. The Scriptures tell us that the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. And let me just say that God was not surprised by anything. Certainly not the problem which later arose. God was not surprised by anything. I will put it frankly. The cross pre-exists the creation. The cross is everywhere. Everything in existence is branded with the cross from beginning to end. Because the cross is all that it stands for. God's eternal love. Now, I admit, this is not much of an explanation, rather a declaration. But the point is, the cross is a reality for the triune God before he creates. It is part and parcel within the one nature of the one will of the Father, Son, and Spirit. It is not something that the Father cooked up and then imposed upon the Son once he got down there or even just before he came and set off from his heavenly abode. The cross of Christ is the cross of the Trinity, of the three eternal persons who share one nature and one will. All that to say, if it pleased the Father to crush his Son, it equally pleased the Son to be crushed. There is not one iota of divergence between the will of the Son and the will of the Father. They are one. And they embrace the cross willingly. 
and even with pleasure. To use this rather strange and scandalous language of Isaiah, this is the most perfect revelation we will ever have of our God. The mystery of this cross, it is His. It belongs to Him before He creates us. He is devoted to it. And He is pleased with it because by it and only by it can we be deified. And it is His pleasure to deify us. This is why He is strangely pleased to crush and be crushed. In the one sacrificial act, in the one will of the three divine persons. Why? Because we are His pleasure no matter the cost to himself. That is the totality of his love. And that is why Isaiah can say something which sounds so insane to us. Because we would have never dreamt up a God like this, with this kind of indiscriminate, unbounded love. So let us put to rest any idea of child abuse or dichotomy between the father and son. They are both the Father and Son, along with the Spirit, equally pleased with the crushing which had to take place. We spoke about this earlier, why it had to take place earlier this week. Our God is a saving God, and we are in need of saving, and He was pleased to save us no matter the cost. He made us in order to save us. Let me repeat that. One more time. He is a saving God. And we are in need of saving. And he was pleased to save us no matter the cost. He made us in order to save us. Now, we do need to still close the loop. Because there is another element at work in this divine sacrifice of love. It was not just the Father eternal word and spirit which were at work in the cross. There is also the introduction of the human nature and will which the eternal son assumed. Let us briefly return to a phrase from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians which has been a theme this week. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus Christ was obedient to the Father. He was obedient unto death. Jesus' obedience is an important theme in the Gospels, especially the Gospel of John. And in Hebrews, we read that he learned obedience through the things he suffered. Well, I have a question. Did the eternal Son need to learn obedience? His and the Father's will are eternally one. One will. Without any possibility of dichotomy. One will. But having become man, he now also has a human will. A human will has been added to the eternal Son. And it is as man, Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Son, this very one, who is now in solidarity with all humanity, and through this solidarity, he expresses perfect obedience 
to the Father as the God-man. And what is his obedience? It is nothing less than the reversal of Adam's disobedience. And what was Adam's disobedience? It was his failure to love God. And what is Christ's obedience? It is nothing less than his total trust and faith in his Father. Even while in his human nature and will, he undergoes the trauma, the fear, pain, the unimaginable suffering and isolation and abandonment, which all was necessary. It is the divine love flowing through his adopted humanity back to the Father, this unmitigated love, a love that holds nothing back, a love that is total, a love that is obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And as he made clear in his preaching, he did this willingly. No one took his life. He laid it down of his own accord. This is the divine love flowing through the God-man. The cross and all it stands for, the shed blood and broken body of Jesus Christ, cursed and dead on a tree. This was as much the Son's divine pleasure to do for us as it was the Father's and the Spirit's. Every bit as much. His suffering was in his humanity. He suffered in his humanity. And I suppose we cannot call that pleasure. But suffering. The suffering in his humanity was transcended by the will of his divine love. His human will in his person was subjugated to his divinity and total and absolute trust. The mystery of this passion and cross, it is a part in some mysterious way of who God is. The cross exists before time. The cross, in fact, is the true beginning of creation. As St. Gregory said, the whole world was recreated by a single drop of the Savior's blood. And in some way that we could never fathom, all of this was a pleasure to God. This cross was a pleasure to Him. To crush and be crushed was a pleasure to Him. Because it unites us to him. And we are his delight. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.